Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo. In light of findings that 74% of all B2B and B2C buyers do their own research online before making a purchase, it's time for you to better understand how your customers make their purchasing decisions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run and run simple with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. What's the buzz today? Well, I found an interesting quote from an author named Lisa Kleypas, K-L-E-Y-P-A-S, in her book or story called Christmas Eve at Friday Harbor. Listen up to this. A good conversation always implies a certain amount of complaining. I like to bond over mutual hatreds and petty grievances. She's probably being very sarcastic and cynical, but I thought it was a really good intro for our topic today. So here's a reality check for all our listeners out there. Your customers are talking about you. They're talking to you. They're on social media. They're in customer reviews. Think Yelp and all those other user-generated content places. And anywhere else, maybe they're blogging about you. Maybe they're giving interviews about you. OMG, are you worried? Nah, don't be. Why not? You can use that content to your own advantage for you and your business, your mission, your brand, your mantra, all that good stuff. How? It's very simple. Create an engaging, approachable space where your current customers and the ones you really want to stick with you and become loyal long-term customers and the prospects you haven't even met yet can reach out to begin a conversation. And through those conversations with the right training, the right mindset, the right attitude, the right energy, you can build positive relationships with them to make them loyal. And that's a good thing. So that goes back to my quote from Lisa Kleypas. Maybe they're complaining. And you can leverage that part of it too. And you'd better actually. The experts speak. We have three people on the panel. We're still waiting for one to call in. But right now we have Sela Masirian, VP of Marketing Strategy and Business Development at Brown Bag Marketing. We're waiting for Brian Kramer, President and CEO of Pure Matter. Brian, if you're out there, we hope you call in. And of course, third on the panel is the lady at SAP, my colleague, who sponsors this series. It's Lorraine Maurice. She calls herself a modern marketer, driving B2B channel marketing, social selling, and partner success. So let's kick off the opening of the show with, let's see. Oh, Brian, we've got Brian. Bring him on, Michael. We've got Brian. Okay. Brian, I'm just starting to introduce uh, the quote, so we'll get to you in a second. Thanks for joining. Sela Masirian has sent me the shortest quote on record in about a thousand Game Changer shows. In We're coming up to my five-year, fifth-year anniversary, October 5th. We started Coffee Break with Game Changers. The quote is one word, and let me tell you who it's by, and then you're probably all going to guess it. Adele, uh-huh, she was born May 5th, 1988 in Tottenham, London, England. Her genre in music is pop rock and adult alternative pop rock and indie rock, all those good things. Her full name, you may not know, is Adele Laurie Blue Adkins, A-D-K-I-N-S. A little background, when the UK press started dubbing her the next Amy Winehouse, I should say the late next Amy Winehouse, in late 2007, the hype didn't touch on Adele's influence found in her music. She was influenced by Roberta Flack, oh, be still my heart, and Suzanne Vega, as much as Jill Scott. Adele became a phenomenon in her own right. Her second album, 21, Think Age, sold only about 30 million copies worldwide, making her one of the few 
recording sales successes in an age of digital streaming. Okay, everyone, I think you guessed it. The quote is one word. It's the title of one of her most famous songs. Hello. <laughs> Sella, I have to tell you, that is the <laughs> only one-word quote I've ever had talking to probably over a 1,000 people. Sella Masarian, how are you today? I'm very well. Great to be here. Oh, we're delighted. So tell me, how big a fan of Adele's are you, and do you go to her concerts? Do you listen to her concerts? Do you watch them online? Talk to me. Yeah, I'm a fan, but I tell you, I don't know how to get a ticket to a concert. So if anybody is out there that would like to take a very friendly marketer along with them, I would love to go to a concert. But, man, they sell out, and it's impossible to get a ticket. It may be as hard as getting a a ticket to Hamilton, which is opening in Chicago soon. And there's a giveaway online uh, having, I think, a backstage pass, a good seat, and a meeting after the show with uh, Lin-Manuel the creator yes so go look for the contest anyway i'd I'd go to chicago for that so how did you pick the quote we're talking about conversation we're talking about engaging we're talking about being where your customers and prospects are where they are talking about you so let's get started Sella. what what's the thought on hello who's saying hello to whom and how does it relate to our topic today yeah well you know the show is called game changers so i thought i would try to change up the game with my quote, but um, I wasn't really trying to be clever here because actually I think it actually encapsulates or really describes a key aspect of the conversations that we're talking about between brands and audiences, whether it's, you know, from one to another. And I think it really describes a friendliness and a tone. And so I thought it was a very relevant quote. I I think having a friendly tone for a brand is a very powerful thing. And, you know, brands have to do this in a way that makes sense for them. It can come across in lots of different ways, but just saying something as powerful as hello, I think really sets the tone for a conversation, right? You wouldn't just jump right into a sales pitch. You wouldn't just jump right into, well, you did this or I did that. So I think it's a really nice way for brands to kind of remember that it is a conversation. You're talking to humans. Just because it's digital doesn't mean there's an actual, you know, human behind it. So I think if brands can come across as friendly, as relatable, um, polite, courteous, of course, useful. I think they're more likely to get their point across, and I think they're more likely to stay in conversation and build relationships. So I really like the quote for that reason. I do, too. I thought it was wonderful. And by the way, I have a correction. It's Lynn, L-I-N, dash Manuel Miranda, the creator of Hamilton. I didn't quite get the name right. So there, got to be careful with our big icons there. Thank you, Sella. Great introduction. Happy to have you back. See, I remembered how to pronounce your name. Sella, right? right? Thank you. There you go. We had a discussion about that last time. Now let's bring on our second guest. He is here. It's Brian Kramer, President and CEO of Pure Matter. And Brian has sent me a quote from David Ogilvie. Let me just give you a little bit of background here. David Ogilvie, 1911 to 1999. Boy, he missed out on this huge social selling we're doing now and all this digital advertising. He was an ad executive widely hailed as the father of advertising. In 1962, Time Magazine called him the most sought-after wizard in today's advertising industry, and he founded Ogilvy and Mather. Very interesting. He was born in England. Um, He attended a couple of schools on reduced fees because his father was broke. Interestingly enough, he wouldn't have gone to Fettus College, and he wouldn't have gone to St. Cyprian's School if he hadn't won scholarships. His father's business was hit by the depression of the mid-1920s. But 
Ogilvy didn't do well as a student. No, no, no. He left Oxford. He actually went to Oxford. Left Oxford in for Paris in 1931 and became an apprentice chef in the Hotel Majestic. And let's fast forward. In 1938, he persuaded the advertising agency Mather and Crowther to send him to the U.S., where he worked for George Gallup's Audience Research Institute in New Jersey, of all places. And during World War II, he worked for the British Intelligence Service at the British Embassy in Washington. Quite a guy. Here's the quote Brian has selected. What really decides consumers to buy or not to buy is the content of your advertising, not its form. Brian Kramer, welcome back to Game Changers. How are you? <clears throat> Thank you so much. Glad to be glad here. To, gl- glad to have you. Yeah, you know, um, well, content is um, taken on a much different form than when he gave that quote because, uh, you know, you had... TV, billboards, and um, radio as an option. And now we've got plenty more options. But the quote still stands the test of time. Um, content, it's, it's the form of the content. And today, the form of the content could be uh, just about anything as it pertains to whoever's listening or seeing or, or um, reading it. So, um, so I, I think it's an incredible quote because... Um, it is the form of the content. Now it's become the story behind the content that makes the most difference, which was exactly what he was getting at. So it was, it was a very impressive quote. And he was a very impressive guy. Thank you, Brian, for joining us. Appreciate it. I know we have a lot more to hear from you. And now let's turn to our sponsor, Lorraine Maurice, our modern marketer extraordinaire. And Lorraine is digging way back in the history of literature, picking out a quote from Charles Dickens. Uh, This is an interesting one. Anybody very young in the audience who is not aware of Dickens, he lived from 1812 to 1870, an English writer and social critic who created some of the world's best-known fictional characters, and he is regarded as as the greatest novelist of the Victorian era. Very interestingly, uh, he he went to, let's see, he was born in Portsmouth. He left school to work in a factory when his father was imprisoned in a debtor's prison. So we have another, Lorraine, we've got another father of a quoted person on the show today who had bad business luck. In this case, Dickens' father actually went to jail. Uh, and inter- interestingly enough, despite his formal education, Charles John Huffam Dickens edited a weekly journal for 20 years. He wrote 15 novels, five novellas, hundreds of short stories, and nonfiction articles. He lectured and performed. He was an indefatigable, that means tireless, letter writer. Those of you who don't know a lot of English, indefatigable means tireless, worked around the clock. And he campaigned vigorously for children's rights, education, and other social reforms. And a couple of his works you might want to know about, the Pickwick Papers he started with, Oliver Twist, A Christmas Carol, David Copperfield, Bleak House, Hard Times, Little Dorried, A Tale of Two Cities, one of his most famous, and Great Expectations, another one. And interestingly enough, he serialized his, uh, he serialized his novels, basically. He wrote them in serials and sent them out a little bit at a time, and people were able to comment. Um, anyway, a lot of interesting history here on Dickens. Here's the quote Lorraine has sent us. No one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of another. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? Fabulous. How are you doing today, Bonnie? Wonderful. Thank you. Love the quote. Very interesting. Did you know that his father was in prison? He had almost no education, and he became one of the most vibrant and socially profound writers of, of any time in history? I had no idea, and that's why I love these radio shows, is because you always dig deeper and teach me something I didn't know. No idea. <laughs> 
You're very kind. Thank you, my dear. So talk to me. How does the court, we're talking conversation, customers, prospects, social media, and now you're taking us back to the 1800s with Dickens and talking about no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of other, of another. Who is lightening the burden, Lorraine? Um, I think that the, the small business is lightening the burden, and they're lightening the burden on their customer uh, by providing value, by providing um, just being there and, and being uh, engaged and solving a problem. And you don't have to be big. You don't have to be a huge enterprise. You don't have to be famous to do this. You just have to have you know, a relationship. You have to be a trusted advisor. And you just have to provide somebody with some value. And I think that's, that's quite frankly, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship, it, it really is you know, the same process. Lightening the burden of others is, is really what it's about. Lorraine, thank you. I have a suggestion here. Um, I'm looking more at the background of Charles Dickens, and I was mentioning serialization. I think we can apply that to the topic, if you'll give me a little bandwidth here. His novels were published in monthly or weekly installments. They pioneered the serial publication of narrative fiction, and he could tweak them based on the feedback. For example, when Dickens' wife's chiropodist was distressed at the way a character named Miss Mocher in David Copperfield seemed to reflect her disabilities, Dickens went back and improved the character with positive features. So he was able to respond. He was able to be agile. Wow, what a flexible word, flexibility in the modern terms. So what do you think in terms of talking about creating safe and engaging places for customers and prospects to have a conversation with you and your company and your brand? Uh, the idea of installments of a little bit at a time rather than not telling the whole story and then responding appropriately to what they say. What are your thoughts on that, Lorraine? Interesting well, idea? Like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like he was a pioneer. Uh, you know, a pioneer for social. I mean, you know, it's important in social to be listening and be listening in any conversation, uh, in any format. And the fact that he was doing something continually and continuously um, allowed him to be able to listen and adjust. And I, I think it's a, it's fascinating. And, you know, history repeats itself and you learn from history. I think this is just another proof point to that concept. Thank you, Lorraine. Let's circle around to Sela Masurian. Before I ask you where you are and what you're drinking today, Sela, I'd love you to respond to my thoughts about Charles Dickens and what, what Lorraine said about him being a pioneer in listening in whatever media he had in the day way back in the 1800s. What do you think, Sela? I just have to say that I think listening is probably the best thing brands can do. First of all, it doesn't cost anything. I mean, certainly there's some subscriptions you can pay money for, but anybody can listen to an online conversation. And so I think that was really clever that he was sort of, quote-unquote, building the product together. Um, and I think the more that, that brands and businesses, whether it's you know small or large, do that, just it ensures a better quality and a better match for the audience that's either using it or buying it, right? So I, I love that he did that, and I think that's such a lesson for us all whether you're in content creation, product creation, whatever. Thank you very much. I, I agree. I just realized that as I read his bio, he's talking to us. He's sharing with us what he what he did. He had a way of, of listening, and, and it was like writing through feedback, like a, yeah. a workshop almost. Uh, Brian Kramer, what are your thoughts? Did you know Dickens had this clever way of uh, moving the needle on his writing so that it reflected the wishes and the hopes and dreams of his audience? <laughs> Had, had I didn't. <laughs> that's a new one. That, I, that's cool, um, and and it kind of, it's kind of funny because it does. Um, it, it's speaking to the same thing that I was um, talking before about how content uh, take needs to take on a different form for each audience. 
Um, and and his form is obviously his his writing and how he changes the direction. So that's pretty that's pretty interesting, and that's a gift. <laughs> that is an absolute gift. I agree. I, th- I think it's very clever. Sometimes we have to look backwards uh, while we're thinking about we're all so creative and clever. Look back into the history of, of people who contributed to where we are today and say, wow, that was really cool stuff. And he would probably laugh in his grave if he knew we were talking about him on Internet Radio in the year. Where are we? 2016. My goodness. Thank you all. I'm going to circle back to Sela. Sela, it's a part of the show where we want to get to know a little bit about you. You're the VP of Marketing Strategy and Business Development at Brown Bag Marketing. So where are you calling from? And either what are you drinking right now if it's fascinating or if not, <laughs> what's your favorite drink or what are you going to drink after the show, Sala? Well, I'm calling from our headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia in uh, a neighborhood called Buckhead. So gorgeous sunny day. And I am drinking um, a drink called Mighty Greens. So I'm getting my um, barley, alfalfa, chlorella, and spirulina. Doesn't that sound delicious? <laughs> And sorry, there's spinach in there as well and collard greens. I, I've been feeling like, you know, I've been needing to sort of detox a little bit. I won't say why, but I, I've just had that feeling. So that's unfortunately what I'm drinking. It's not the most delicious, but you got to do what you got to do. I'm groaning a little. Is there any sweetener in there, any strawberries or blueberries or agave or anything to lighten the burden? You know, they throw some apple in for good measure, but it's really just to tease us. I mean, yeah. <laughs> They're toying with you. Thank you for admitting that. And we do, we're very interested in health drinks. So thank you for that much. And Brian Kramer, where are you today? It's been a while since we've spoken, but where are you today? And what are you drinking or thinking about? I'm, I am uh, in San Jose, California. What am I drinking? All right, here you go. You asked. I'm having a rock star. Um, so this is a sugar-free, zero calories, Zero carbs, Rockstar, and it is. It has B vitamins, terrine. I think that's how you say it, and um, and a little bit of caffeine, and it is an awesome drink. So it got me to stop drinking coffee for the last two months, which has been kind of fun. Um, since I drink a lot of coffee, that is that's been one of my goals this year. Um, and what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about um, uh, how how people build their uh, personal brands and how those brands fit within companies to help do what it is that we're talking here about doing. So how people can, um, and, and, and humans can use, um, the, the power of, you know, story and the social web to create a space where they can help their companies, um, in things like social selling much better, um, and doing that with credibility behind you. So, that's kind of um, that's kind of where my focus is. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're drinking something interesting. As a matter of fact, I looked it up. Rockstar, one word. Its its brand is R O C K S T with the star character R. It is an energy drink created in 2001 with 14 percent of the U.S. market in 2008. Rockstar is a leading energy drink brand. It's based in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, spin the wheel. As of January 13, Rockstar energy drink is available in more than 20 flavors and in more than 30 countries. Founded in 1998 by Russell Weiner or Weiner W I N E R, the son of conservative talk show host Michael Savage. Did you know that, Brian? He's Michael Savage's kid. Wow, very interesting. There you go. I used to listen occasionally to Michael Savage. No comments there from me. And Lorraine Maurice, what are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? 
Well, I'm afraid to admit it after Green Machine and Rockstar, but I know I'm throwing myself under the bus here. I, I, I'm drinking a YooHoo, and for those <laughs> that are not familiar with YooHoo, it's a chocolate flavored drink, and it is not low cal, and it does have carbs, but it is a good pick me up for two twenty two in the East Coast time afternoon. So it was a, a needed treat today. Well, I love that because, uh, Lorraine, I think you saw the first play I wrote, which was called Hail, Hail, the Gang's All Here. Uh, it was taped at my TV studio for viewing on demand. And the opening line is uh, the first character's wearing a funny set of glasses with a big nose and a, and, a, and funny glasses. And she's on a blind date through online a dating, a dating site. And she doesn't want anybody to recognize her. But that's what she's going. The man is expecting to see her. She's standing in front of Penn Station, New York. And she says, Yoo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my God! Uh, it just it doesn't resemble me too much. Okay, no, not at all. I'm just just bringing back bringing back memories of the opening line of my first play. I thank you very much for that good memory, uh, everyone. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm drinking a cup of cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a green straw today. Green represents oh, all good things. Not only the green drink, Sella is forcing herself to drink, and uh, maybe we're all green with envy that she's doing that and she's detoxing. That's a good thing, Sella. But green stands for profitability, and we're talking about how can you engage customers and prospects, the ones you want to turn into future and long-time customers through conversation. They're out there talking about you, to you. Are they talking with you? Are you joining the conversation? Big topic, a lot more coming from our three panelists, Sela Masirian, Brian Kramer, and Lorraine Maurice. We're going to take a quick break, so don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back, I promise. Michael, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Studies have shown that buyers in today's digital economy are spending more time online than ever before, discovering and researching products and services. As a result, it is critical for businesses like yours to learn how to locate and engage with prospects and customers in this digital space. Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers explores the impact of changing digital economy on small to medium-sized businesses. We'll define the challenges SMEs face to proactively connect with buyers on their digital journey and share proven strategies to put into action to be successful. Tune in to hear the experiences and insights of top sales and marketing thought leaders and practitioners as they discuss how the digital economy is reshaping the SME business world. Think Big, Work Small, presented by SAP, every Thursday on the Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. 
Exactly. Welcome back. We're talking about talking. We're talking about your customers are talking to you, with you, around you, by you, for you. You need to be in that conversation, period. We're talking today with Sela Masirian, Brian Kramer, Lorraine Maurice, and I'm scrolling down to where we're going to start the topic. I think, Sela, one of the biggest issues for companies today, whether they're startups or what I call the big behemoth enterprises, is that people are talking about them and saying negative things. So let me read what you said in your notes, and then you'll have to, we'll have you run with it. You say, with so much chatter online, negative sentiment, reviews and ratings happen to the best of brands, but there is a way to manage this well and even end up winning them over. So, Sela, why don't you tell us what the magic is here? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if it's magic as it is a very methodical way of, of handling an objection. You know, I, I think there's a lot of steps involved. So, I think the first thing is to kind of not freak out, you know, don't respond <clears throat> instantly, take a second to think about it. Um, first of all, haters are going to hate, right? We know this from Taylor Swift and many other people smarter than I am. So I, I think there's a little bit of, of this that's going to happen when you just are in the online arena. Um, so I think it's kind of, you know, staying calm. Um, but then I do think responding in a timely manner, again, going back to my Adele hello quote, um, a friendly mm-hmm. manner, um, not arguing, you know, you never sort of insult the insulter. Um, you don't sort of um, patronize them or argue. Um, so really kind of addressing it, setting the tone, and then, you know, really trying to work towards a solution. Say sorry if you need to. I mean, if it really was something that the brand did, you know, sorry goes a long way. Or talk about how you're fixing that issue. Um, or talk about, you know, what your brand's vision is. And even better, if there's somebody that's in a position of authority that can do that. Um, so I think there's a number of things that you can do there. Um, you know, I've seen this just from myself when I've responded to um, my favorite airlines, um, and, and, you know, sometimes I've handled it really well to the point where I've said thank you and I've moved on. So I think there is a way to handle it. If you can make it right, then I think you do sort of repair, but you can actually even go further and have somebody sort of then share with their networks, hey, these guys made good on it. So I think the net is that it's going to happen at some point, um, but there's a lot of ways that you can handle it, and people shouldn't be afraid to handle it. Okay, we're going to, as this conversation evolves, we're going to get Brian and Lorraine to come. And now I'd love for somebody to say, who should be handling us? This is a special person in your organization. Do you need to train them in how to speak on social or how to speak social? Brian Kramer, love to get your POV on what Sela introduced. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I I think that, uh, you know, it's obviously it's important to have – uh, have have someone that is helping to um, coordinate everything and be a uh, intermediary before between um, you know the high level and the the the, the uh, people out selling as well and having somebody there who is organizing um, the central brain for everything. Um, so that that's the uh, addition I'd make is that you know it really um, you know has a it has a. Um, uh, there needs to be some some kind of uh, person that everybody points back to and says, okay, where where, where are we going to all head? How's the message going to be consistent? How are we going to use social media consistently? You know, amongst all of uh, you know anyone that's in social sales or how you're going to build people up into selling socially. Um, and so, um, so I just add that that component there. Thank you very much, Lorraine Maurice. What are your thoughts about who should be speaking with them, and how often? Everybody is responsible for mm. being being engaged. Although in business, you need to assign somebody specifically. But I also think, to Stella's point and Brian's, it needs to be timely, and it needs to acknowledge 
uh, the complaint, but at the same time, uh, it needs to not just, you know, give in to the conversation as much as show compassion and then take it into a different business conversation. So I think everybody's responsible for the conversation. I think it's great to have somebody assigned some processes, some rules and such, but it's important. And I will tell you that this just happened to me. I, I went to my favorite Thai restaurant. It was incredibly not good. And so I'm on the email list. I sent a note, and there's no response. But yet they've sent me 10 more emails soliciting my business. And uh-huh. I, 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 I'm not sure I'll go back, you know, if they couldn't acknowledge, you know, the one, you know as, a, as a solid customer and they do track my business, that they, they couldn't acknowledge my complaint. So I think it's key. So can so I just sh- interrupt here? I, I, I yeah, think that's really funny what Lorraine said about everyone. Like, yeah. it's a bold statement, but it's true. It's not just the social media department's job, right? It's the whole enterprise has a hand in their relationship to the to the market. And so that then leads to a lot of things, right? Training, making sure that you're sharing best practices, that you're communicating, that there's a, a, a good shared service or a hub within the, the company that's training people to sort of um, know how to behave, how to represent their brand. So... When negative things come up, it's so much easier for a company that's on the ball to handle it than somebody that than a brand or business that has not been prepared. Very well put. Yeah, I, go ahead. Uh, anybody want to chime in on that, Brian? Anything well, you want to add, or Lorraine? Sorry, I was just going to say, you know, it's hit that uh, make a lemonade out of lemons, and, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, in business, especially, you have to be prepared for that. Was it, was it their famous case about a young man whose guitar was smashed on one of the major airlines and he made a video, a blatant blasphemous video trashing the airline and it went viral within, what, 24 minutes? Brian, do you remember that? Or Lorraine or Sella? Anybody remember yeah. that? The guitar player? What, what did they do? Did they send him a new guitar, an apology? That was as public as it gets, right? You know, we all know video is, is the, uh, the, the, big linchpin, I think, the kingpin today of what people want to see. They want to see, they want to hear, they don't just want to read. Lorraine, let me go to you. Yeah, you know, I remember the story. I don't have the facts behind it, but I think we see it every day. I think we see it every day in our media, um, in, in what's happening in the world. I think we see every, kids, kids doing funny things and it goes viral. And really, to your point, in business situations, the first thing people pull out are their cell phones and they record it. So um, you need to be prepared and you need to be ready and, and you need to have a contingency plan for conversations that go south. And I think also Lorraine and Sella and Brian, I'm going to use a word that's familiar to me. I think you all heard it, chutzpah. You have to have the chutzpah to say, <laughs> whoops, we have to respond. We cannot ignore this. We cannot hide under a rock. It's out there. Our brand is under the wheels of the bus or under the landing gear of the plane. We have to find a way. Quick, damage control. Get everybody together. What do we say? Where do we do? How do we treat the guy? Where do we send our messages? It, does, it sounds to me like damage control would be something you need to be prepared for the bigger the brand you are on an almost full-time basis. Lorraine, any comments on that or Sella? I, I agree. I, I was actually just doing a quick Google. Sorry. The, the, the guy that whose guitar was broken was actually from a band. So he, he published a protest song and that's what mm-hmm. went viral. Yep. So how do you know if you're a small business that the person that, you know, had a negative experience isn't, you know, somebody that has a lot of influence? I mean, you know, they may not have a social network, but more often than not, they're going to have people that know people that know people. So I think I agree with Lorraine on the preparedness. You know, it, it doesn't take much to make sure 
that you go through your enterprise and you have people understand the social media policy, that they have people understand that they're representing the brand, um, that they have, you know, a, a communications plan for what, how to handle a crisis. I think these are just, you know, absolutely standard things that we have to do. It's no longer sort of an option. I think businesses have to be prepared for it. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going. Brian Kramer, any comments on this before I move on? Yeah, Go ahead, Brian. and sorry before, sorry before, can you hear me now? That's okay. Yes, I can. Go ahead. <laughs> I, my elbow, but I had a human moment. And my elbow hit hit my mute. Um, I, uh, I I I think that you know what you're talking about here is is totally um, you know uh, something wor- something where every company has to understand, which is the public, um, uh, pe- which happens in public. If something were to happen in public, then um, then that's you know so everyone takes to social media to report it. Um, however, ninety. I'm making this up, by the way, but 90 to 95% of people actually take to a more, um, you know, uh, customer support as they're buying the product and having a problem with it uh, online kind of thing. Um, and, and, and that support system that happens, like, for instance, take, um, take Amazon, for, for example, a great company front when it comes to support. They'll take almost anything back. Um, and, and, and at the same time, they're also... Um, they're given autonomy to be social salespeople. Like, for instance, somebody uh, said, "Hey, I would love to buy this sword, this old, um, <laughs> this old uh, sword from from ancient like Greece thing, or, or you know, like a really old sword." And so they're buying it online, and and the 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 salesperson actually chats back and says, uh, in in a in a European accent. Um, make, uh, saying, uh, you know, the king would be would be very appreciative if uh, if Sir John, uh, Sir James, his name would would take a look at this sword and if not, return it upon thy uh, and and continued with this whole like way. And the guy was laughing because he actually customized the whole sales pitch into the into the genre of the sword. And um, and it was just a unique way to you know actually interface with somebody from such a giant company of Amazon, mm-hmm. and I think that's like teaching you know those 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 human in the moment skills that that actually you know it takes to actually just interact with somebody is what's missing um, across the board as as um, both of the other panelists mentioned it's it is affecting the entire company and just teaching those those basic human skills of actually interacting with them in a unique way could change the direction of sales thank you brian very interesting story lorraine you want to comment on that and then i'll ask Stella, and i'm going to move on lorraine no i think that's what makes companies successful is their ability to to handle um all kinds of situations. And so I think that we've seen it with Amazon. I think we've seen it with Zappos. I think we've seen it even with McDonald's and, and their ability to, again, I'll use the, the, the phrase, you know, turn lemon into lemonade. You, and it goes back to um, being immediately reactive, having a plan, and, and knowing how to handle. And that's part of it. It's not comfortable to handle uh, situations like this. So you have to find a comfort level, and part of that comfort level comes from understanding your business, understanding your audience, and understanding what exactly you do and cannot do. Thank you very much. Sella, comments on this before I move on? Well, just the one thought I had was, you know, I'm such a big fan of Amazon and some of these brands, but I think it's also relevant for very small brands. Um, I think the ability and just what the sales rep did to kind of connect via social 
Um, you know, however that is, I, I just think is, is the tactic. I, I think you can't really sell without, again, engaging in this online conversation. And, and there's so much that's been documented and studied that when sales professionals use social selling, I mean, their, their um, targets and their quotas are met and their revenues is, is just you know, four to five times better than at typical companies. So um, I love to see these stats. You know, LinkedIn has done a lot on this when, um, you know, sales folks from small businesses use LinkedIn for social selling. They're, they're more than half more likely to exceed their quota. So I think that the best practice in, in, in terms of not just um, the way you engage, but just so that you are engaging socially um, will, will result. I mean, it's a proven method and proven tactic will result in more revenue for your company. Thank you, Sella. That's why I have the green straw, green for profit and revenue. There you go. <laughs> Brian Kramer, I'm looking at your notes here. There's a couple places I'd like to go, but we're talking about you need to be there. Where are the customers? Where are the prospects? Where are the people, even just the naysayers who don't even want to buy from you? Where they are. So let me read this statement from your notes, Brian, then I'd love for you to tell us how to do this. You say, with the right social and content listening tools, you can be everywhere your clients and prospects are at the moments that matter. So Brian, there's so many places today. There's Twitter and there's LinkedIn and there's Facebook and there's YouTube and there's Instagram and there's Pinterest and there's Vine. Everybody is all around the place. How do you be at the right place at the right time or have eyes and ears, e-eyes and e-ears listening, watching, so that you catch these things either before they go viral or as they go viral and say, whoops, we got to do this right now. So what, what's your suggestion, Brian, or any, any tips for our audience on how to be there? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, this, I'll answer this in two parts. Um, the first part is the, the traditional part. Um, I was talking to my friend uh, Tom, Tom Webster, who is an, an analyst, and he also runs all the polling for, um, for, for the day that we go in and vote for our president. And, um, and, and the, mm. he, not, the po- not the, actually the polling, it's the polling research. Sorry. And he, he, um, he takes in um, their answers as they're exiting the poll to see who they voted for and, and, and has a list of questions that identifies the direction that it's going to head. And so at, within, within t- about two hours after polling closes, he basically has a, a high enough trend to have uh, figured out who will be president over the last 15 uh, t- times they've done this, and he's been, he's been accurate to the level of votes that were turned in and who voted, what percentages. Um, and, and he does that because he is listening to everybody at their polling booths and is able to assemble this and then give trends um, that are accurate. And so what we're talking about is online is the same exact thing. Um, we're, we're, just, we're moving it to an online analytics atmosphere or social listening analytics atmosphere to where mm-hmm. we, can, we, can, um, we can have software that spots the biggest trends um, where they're happening and, and identify the needles in the haystack based upon what matters most, because not everything does. Um, when, when you put out a, a search on, I want to become a chef, um, there's mm-hmm. no way that t- all 25,000 people are going to go get their, um, their, their cooking uh, degree. Um, they just, they're just saying that. But how you find the needles in the haystack of the people who really do, and they're just waiting to be invited to do that. And, and you can do that with social listening tools very easily. It takes a, a bit of effort to set it up, but once it's set up, then you can do that very easily on every platform you just said, um, everything, everything is pretty open except for a little bit of Facebook, depending upon how people have the privacy settings. But everything else is very much open, and you can see um, where, where and who and when and, and be able to 
to then uh, uh, build your governance plan and say, okay, how are we going to follow back and what are we going to do in this instance? And that's the fun stuff. Like you just, you know, you figure out what you want to say. But I think it's worse for you not to be there. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen people make fake accounts under people's companies or names, and and all of a sudden they're left with, um, you know, uh, them faking being that person. And now because you didn't take part or you weren't doing social listening, it's hurting your brand more than it is to not do it. And still, yet still, uh, as of last year. 86% of all brands still do not, did not do social listening. So that tells you what kind of opportunities are out there for sales. Thank you, Brian. I just Googled social listening, and I came up. Lorraine, you'll love this. The Huffington Post, uh, May 13, 2014, an article called What's in the section is called What's Working? Small Businesses. Aha, Lorraine. The title of the article is Five Social Media Listening Tools That Every Business Should Be Using. And they introduce the five, their t- five top tools. Let me just go around the panel and see if you all agree. Google Alerts, Hootsuite or Tweet Ed Tweet Deck, Ice Rocket, Social Mention, and Topsy. Let me just ask everybody. Uh, Sella, do you agree with that list? Do you have any others you want to add? Bless yeah, you. no, actually, I've used five, four out of the five, and, and I think it's funny they start with Google Alerts because, to me, whenever I've um, had to describe what social listening is for clients, I always say it's essentially Google Alerts on steroids. I mean, it's really scraping wherever it can find, you know, buzz or chatter about your brand name or keyword or whatever it is you're trying to, to learn about. And so, you know, that's free. Um, you know, Hootsuite, some of these other ones that have, you know, the basic levels are free. Uh, so there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it. And I agree. I, I think that the intelligence is, is so powerful that it's it's really, again, it's mandatory and it's a good starting place as well. Because if you only have 10 bucks to spend on your marketing, you know, where do you put that? It, you really want to be efficient. You, you obviously can't be on every social channel if you're a small business. And I, I don't think you need to be. But if you can find the two or three that you know that most of the conversation is happening about, you know, whatever your topic is or whatever your market is, then, you know, focus your 10 bucks on those efforts. Thank you. I like the idea you inter- introduced 10 bucks. That certainly can go a long way. Uh, Brian, thoughts on the five that I mentioned? Agree, disagree? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would put Topsy on that list. It's more of an influencer platform, but, um, but it certainly is a listening tool. It's just very focused in, in terms of what it does. But, um, but everything else is, 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 is good, and it's, it, what you've just named is kind of a ladder um, starting at the bottom and moving up. But there's there's some I think even more powerful ones out there like uh, like Synthesio. Um, one of my favorites is um, Sprinkler, and um, and then mm-hmm. if you're looking for a low like a low low cost but does a phenomenal job, um, it is oh darn it what's the name of it? Um, think uh, Keyhole Keyhole. Okay. So, uh, and Keyhole is great. I actually use Keyhole and it monitors all kinds of stuff on hashtags and gives you great stuff. But that, those, I would add those three to it. Thank you very much. Lorraine, thoughts on this list? You know what? I would agree with the experts on the, the list. And I think it's such a viable topic for small business. I just did a, a, a roundtable with 10 small businesses. And that came up as one of the top subjects. One, they knew it was, some of them knew it was important. Others knew it was important but didn't know how to describe it. And then at the end of the day, it all boiled down to audience personas and how they were being viewed and seen in social. So it, it, it's critical in this, in this age of digital and social to be listening and then take action from what you're listening to. And I think that the fact that the tools that you mentioned and 
Stella and Brian mentioned, have a variety of price points. No matter how big or small you are, you can find a social tool um, to get at least get started and, and continue on. Thank you, Lorraine. And I just want to mention, according to this article, what you should do with these tools. Number one, look for your brand name. Number two, look for slogans, key messages, or mottos that are yours or similar. Number three, look for alternate spellings or misspellings of your name. Uh-huh. Typos do happen, and you need to be there because they may be talking about you with a couple of letters difference. And keywords or items that are relevant to your industry. Anybody just go to HuffPost and look up five social media tool listening tools that every business should be using if you want. Want more? I thought that was a good look up, Lorraine. Lorraine, let's look at your notes here. Let's see. We got about oh four minutes before we. What time is it? Five minutes before we go to the crystal ball predictions round. So let's talk about developing emotional connections on social. Lorraine says customers want to interact with their peers and learn something new, something of value. A few ways to engage include developing an emotional connection with email or social media and community forums on Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, Google Plus communities, hosting events. Lorraine, tell us, is there a priority to what these are, how you should approach these? And are these, we're mostly talking about small businesses here. So what would be your prioritization of these opportunities? Well, the first thing is to understand who you're selling to and what value you provide to them because that's your business connection. And once you uh, understand the value which is maybe the problem you solve, the service you offer, whatever, then that's how you start to create a connection. And the connection starts with your story, your value proposition, your brand, and how you become a trusted advisor um, to that person. And it goes back to even my quote, you don't have to be big or famous to do this. You just have to show quality, um, and and I use the word value again, uh, in bringing content and information that's relevant to what your audience is looking for. So when you look at emotional connections, it really, if if your customer is sitting there struggling to do something, and you can, your content shows them some bright light to make a difference in their business, that's the emotional connection that you need. And I think connections become even more important. I think that's why we're hearing so much about um, increased uh, communications about, you know, different types of uh, CRM tools and, and, and tracking tools and things like, you know, whether it's you know, Marketo or Eloqua, Eloqua excuse me, because um, following your customers and knowing what they're thinking and creating that trusted advisorship um, you know, uh, is really important. Thank you. Let me circle around to Sella. Agree or disagree, Sella? What are your thoughts about being there, starting those conversations, emotional? I, I would agree. I think it's um, it can be as simple or as complex as the brand makes it, right? And then I think that's where this gets tricky and why you see content marketing departments really, you know, um, growing and, and reliance on, you know, agencies like ourselves for, you know, just people that can kind of help them create um, storylines. I mean, to Lauren's point, I mean, you have to have something to say if you're going to be at the party. And so I think that getting to that kind of emotional connection or being that trusted advisor is not just being a publisher, but it's being a publisher that's offering something that's very useful, very relevant to what that, you know, potential um, buyer um, or influencer is, is doing at that time in their business. And so I think it, it is um, giving a way for the brand to sort of um, personalize maybe a, a place in the um, in the business's experience to to offer you know stories, case studies, things that are um, 
are more, like I said, going back to, to more of a useful or personal or just starting with hello and, 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 and adding on a little bit of that kind of unique flavor of that brand. I think those are the, at least for me, those are the ones that I kind of go to, you know, things that I can learn from that I can actually use, but, um, but brands that tell their story in a u- unique way for me. So not something that I'm going to see on everybody else's site. Thank you. Brian Kramer, add to this, please. I, I'm not sure I can um, add much, much more. They, um, they they put it really well. I think um, uh, it's kind of kind of been covered very well from these two. So you, so uh, you're you're probably not going to get as much from me, but um, I think uh, I, I think it is something that um, should should be uh, uh, addressed. Going back to what we were talking about before, and and, and putting it in is is, is definitely very. Um, very important, but otherwise they'd probably stand behind what they just said. Thank you, Brian. Let me, uh, we're just about, oh, we're actually at the predictions round. Before we do that, I just want to have a, a quick question before we do predictions, and we're going to keep it really tight. Sella, then Brian, then Lorraine, who should be in charge of all this at a small to mid-sized company? Is there a title of the person who should be hired specifically for social listening, for social engagement, for content development? I know that's a big, that's a broad topic, and that's a big issue of who should be creating content and who should be approving it or, or branding it or whatever, but let's talk about who should be in charge of social listening? Is it a 24-7 job? Is it around the clock? Three people share it, four people share it. Um, Sela, how many people should be running this job and quickly who should they be? So I think it really depends on the size of the enterprise. I mean, I would say for a typical small business, it, it's, it, it can be one person if you automate and use a lot of these tools that we're talking about. Um, I think the results have to be analyzed in a group collaborative setting. So then I think you go beyond the one person that's gathering. The interpretation comes with the group. And then I think in terms of the role across the enterprise, I think customer service and, and PR and marketing folks are best suited for this. I think they um, are comfortable with um, the interactivity between the market, and so they know how to kind of more easily formulate a, a response or put together a conversation. Thank you. Brian, quickly, what are your thoughts? Who should be doing the social listening job, one person or many? I, I, I agree with um, with her. It it really depends on the size of the company. So uh, answer changes a, very, uh, a lot there. Um, I, I think that tools can can um, can save you on people in this instance. So um, you know you really want to make sure your main main hub and your automations and all your rule sets are set up, and then you can kind of maybe look at uh, how you size it by by software. Um, highly recommend Nimble as a CRM social listening platform that does both and then automates and does all kinds of stuff while still allowing you to be human. So um, get get a piece of software that in there that may be able to help you scale faster so that you don't have to worry as much. And then when you get to that point where you have to hire that one person, then it would probably be a dedicated social salesperson and a dedicated social listening person. Thank you. Lorraine, quickly, what are your thoughts? Who should be doing the job? Somebody. That's my thought, is that it cannot be left untouched. I love it. I say it passionately, and it has to be part of the business strategy, and it has to start at the top. Thank you. That was a great answer, somebody. Yeah, that's like the binary. It's either a zero or a one. Make up your mind, right? Okay. Zero is not a zero is an answer, and that's not what we're looking for. Uh, now that we have about three and a half minutes left, I can give you each a very tight 60 seconds. So, Sela Masarian, if we fast forward this to, let's look at 2020 or any time before that. Let's, let's make that the end cap here for predictions. What do you think will be changing about social listening, about being part of the conversation that would be a, a reason for us to get together and talk again at that point in the future. Sela Masarian, Brown Bag Marketing, 60 seconds, and I mean it. Go. 
Well, I think if we looked at the trends of um, how much social has evolved and accelerated and how it's changed, I think, you know, peer-to-peer social is going to continue to grow. So things that are happening within um, chats and and, um, bots as opposed to the more public forums. And so I think that poses a challenge for a lot of um, businesses as they're publishing content. I think you'll have a lot of um, content marketing managers throw up their hands and say, hey, you know, I'm doing all this work creating content, but I don't know how to get connect to these people. So my prediction is that I think um, we will start saying content is king, but distribution is queen, and we will look to be very creative about how we distribute, maybe even being their brands, being their own media channel, or really heavily looking more at the, the native advertising and the sponsored um, opportunities. So sponsored articles, sponsored blog posts, you know, getting in on somebody else's conversation thread. Thank you. Brian Kramer, 60 seconds, and I mean 60. Go ahead, Brian, predictions. What do you see? Predictions. I think that um, that a lot of these things that we're talking about will, um, and I'm, I'm also a marketer slash technologist, so I've kind of alluded to this before, but I think it's all going to start to get a little bit easier with technology and, and, and tools. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's really going to go back to the foundational uh, thinking of how to be, and I've you know, I, several people have said it on here before, and as, as you know, I'm a big believer of this, too, that it's mm-hmm. really going to be coming down, back down to the human, human um, uh, personalities and, 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 uh, and, and their skill sets and what they can do to um, work around the technology and with the technology to still remain as human as possible because it's going to start to pull away from that, and, um, and I think it's our job to pull it back. So um, that's going to, I think, be the biggest challenge over the next few years is to start making sure that it's not too robotic. Thank you very much. Lorraine Maurice, I've got about 45 seconds for you. I'll give you 60. Go ahead. (laughs) Look, at the end of the day, it's an evolution. It it, it started with writings on walls, hand signs, and and now it's social way and a way to talk with each other. Um, I think we talked about this on the past show. It's going mobile you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to see it on any type of device that your audience needs, and you just have to have the right content. I think uh, uh, Solis said something like, you know, if content is king, you know, distribution is queen, and I completely agree with that. Um, I think that content will continue to stay at the top of the ladder because that's really the value point that we all need to bring. And at the end of the day, it's about value and it's about getting your message across. So spot on. Thank you very much. I have to do a shout-out to our tweeter. We've got Nicole Lester at Florida State University. Nicole, whoever you are, we're delighted to have you tweeting about the show. Does anybody know Nicole? Lorraine, do you know her? This is Sella. She's on my team. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Well, you tell her she's doing a great job, and I'll be retweeting as much as I can. So tell her hello to Nick Laster. Appreciate that. I want to thank Sella Masarian, Brian Kramer, Lorraine Maurice. Great conversation. Good topic. Lorraine, always good to talk to you. Think Big Work, Small Rumor has it. You're renewing the series for next year. I am so excited because we need to have these conversations about social conversations. So thank you to our panelists. Thank you for Michael at the Business Channel for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Talk to you very soon. Here's my shout out. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go talk to someone. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.